Greetings, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast, episode number 148, with Jared Morgan of Measure Learning. Uh, so we're talking all about uh, ensuring academic integrity uh, for student learning experiences, how to do that, and how to avoid uh, the pitfalls of what uh, I really appreciate Jared calling, uh, quote-unquote, security theater. So making sure that you have kind of verifiable data uh, that you can reference to make sure that uh, student learning, uh, you know, is in fact happening and uh, that the students are proving it. You know, so we're talking about things like proctoring and just being able to ensure the students are not cheating on their various assessments and everything uh, that they're submitting in their classes. So, uh, yeah, just really great perspectives. I love uh, Jared's passion for this subject. So uh, it's really great to talk with him and uh, learn more about his background, the work that uh, Measure Learning is doing. Uh, so definitely connect with him and uh, measure and the stuff that we mentioned in the show notes for this episode. Uh, but after this brief word from our sponsor, this is episode number 148 with Jared Morgan. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. We are here uh, continuing to explore all the nuances of the higher education world and student experience, uh, focusing a little bit more on the academic experience, which uh, is always great for me, just a little bit more out of my wheelhouse. So uh, I will benefit just as much as you all listening. So uh, yeah, just uh, to not wait any longer, let's uh, just get right into it. Uh, we will start out as we always do. Uh, Jared, if you want to give a brief introduction of yourself and give a brief overview of your professional background and how you got to be where you are today. Sure. It's great to be here, Dustin. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Jared Morgan. I'm the founder and chief strategy officer of Measure Learning, uh, which is uh, formerly known, and I guess better known as um, ProctorU. It's the home of the, the ProctorU Proctoring Suite of Services. Uh, I started in higher education back in 2006, um, working at a small online college uh, as the director of technology. It was was kind of a small upstart uh, operation. We had students all over the world and needed a way to figure out um, if they actually understood the content, knew the content, um, and it was a challenge doing that, you know, if somebody was in one state or another state had access to a library or had access to a campus, it was very difficult. So what we uh, needed to figure out was a way to do it remotely. And so I created this little system um, that allowed us to monitor a student uh, over a webcam the same way we would have done if they would have walked into one of our, uh, like walked into the room with us. And so it worked out really well. Students really, really liked it, liked having the freedom to test at home and test kind of any time of the day. Uh, and so we started calling this ProctorU. This was back in 2008. Um, and we were asked to give a, a presentation at a conference. And once that presentation took place, we had a lot of schools contact us and say, hey, we'd really like for you to do this for us. Uh, and so a business was born and we uh, moved it outside of the college so it can serve other institutions. And um uh, sort of in the next couple of years, it's like a, like a 10 year process of being an overnight, you know, success or whatever, right? It was, right. It was quite a, quite a journey, but, um, we're the largest provider of online testing services in the world. Uh, we have now a lot more than just proctoring. We have, 
uh, test delivery services. We have a team of psychometricians that can study test content and how effective it is. Uh, we can help people create content. We have item banking tools, we have all sorts of things now um, to deliver a whole assessment program, not just the proctoring. Yeah, I mean, because I wanted to kind of understand better what Measure Learning and uh, Proctor U uh, does. So I think you kind of gave a little bit of an explanation there, but I guess like you know, it could maybe lead into the next question um, to kind of give a little bit more context, like because certainly over the last two years, more institutions have incorporated uh, kind of remote proctoring tools and things, and um, definitely you know we've talked about it once on the show before last year where there's definitely a lot there because people are used to like sitting in a lecture hall and having like a TA, you know, proctoring exam when people are doing it in person, but then there's maybe some confusion or hesitancy or resistance to uh, remote proctoring. So I guess like to better explain the work that you do, your team does, when do you feel like proctoring is most appropriate? And if I guess maybe you can incorporate you know, remote proctoring in particular, um, when that is most appropriate. Yeah, I really appreciate the way you asked that question, because I think it's broader than just a question of whether remote proctoring is something people are comfortable with. What really changed for us in the last couple of years, um, you know, we've been around since 2008 and um, worked with thousands of different organizations and institutions and millions of students. And um, what changed in the pandemic, and I think this is really indicative of how you set up a healthy program, if you can kind of learn from this, is um, until 2020, when the pandemic started, um, ProctorU was used primarily as a choice. And so you, you were a student at an institution or you were uh, taking a certification exam as a you know, post-grad, something like that. And you had an option to drive somewhere or you were given an option to do it at home over a webcam. And that uh, element of choice really made uh, the test taker feel that this was their decision and they were comfortable with all of the ins and outs of it. Um, what changed in the pandemic for obvious reasons that were really nobody's fault is that there, there wasn't another option, right? The, the, the traditional in-person options were taken away. And that's when you saw um, a lot of negative reaction to the idea of testing at home because it wasn't something people were being asked if they wanted to do. It was something that they had to do. And it's just a very different mm -hmm. human reaction when somebody is told they have to do something, then it's there's an element of suspicion there. And so what I think we have to do um, as, a, as, a, as an organization, as a company, right, but we also have to work with our institutional partners, is make sure that students understand what it is that they're um, uh, expected to do in this situation. So they, they know what to expect, they know where to be, and try to give them as much choice in the matter as possible. If it's possible to offer them uh, a traditional testing uh, environment, then, then by all means, like that should be a part of the experience. Um, if it's not, then make sure that we offer them a choice of where they can be or what time they or where, you know, when they can actually connect and take the exam. So the more choice that you put into the situation, the more students' uh, comfort level improves with doing this. Does that, that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I think that's like such an important point to clarify what you said too of like people being forced to do things because that definitely as is the story of the last two years is that uh, especially with the outset, uh, pretty much two years ago almost uh, as of the recording of this, where everybody was taking this hard pivot into remote learning, not really true online learning, and people didn't have didn't choose uh, to take their classes that way. Uh, 
Yeah, like that's that's sort of so interwoven into people's point of view on this. And then I guess like if you want to kind of uh, sort of kind of build off this too, because I think part of it is that there wasn't great, there wasn't always great orientation or sort of like kind of pre-gaming people to these tools and how they're used or why they're, you know, that sort of thing. It's just sort of like, like you said, it's just a lot of like that sort of like hard forcing, just being like, you're taking your exam, you're doing it over zoom and we're using this tool or what you know like you know these sort of things and people just didn't understand what's going on because it's like wait somebody like you're you're watching me or tracking me or like i don't understand right. what's happening but then when you kind of explain it you know they kind of they get it more so i don't know if that was something that you witnessed as well yeah i mean we witnessed a lot of that i mean it wasn't easy to be in education technology over the last couple of years because it became a necessity but the the issue uh was kind of what you said i mean we we did not have a controlled rollout of any of these changes, we sort of, um, you had a lot of faculty that had never taught online before, and some of them had no desire to teach online. Um, you had students who did not choose to go to school online, um, and were having to be having to go to school online. You had entire programs and, and college, you know, not just universities, but, you know, engineering programs and math programs and everything. They had their entire curriculum set up a different way and had to pivot and figure out how to do it online with a finch with essentially no warning. Um, and so the by, you know, the byproduct of that is you end up with people, um, who are, you know, nerves are already frazzled. We're in the middle of a hundred year pandemic. Um, you have people, you have faculty and administrators doing things that they did not have time to train to do. Um, and, and, you know, may have not been given all the right tools to do it. Um, you have students who their student experience drastically changed on a dime. Um, I have family members that had, this was, they unfortunately were freshmen, um, in, in this year, right in 2020. Mm-hmm. And so can you imagine, like, you, you think your whole kind of growing up, you think you're going to have this college experience and then you get on college campus and, you know, after one semester, it sort of overnight changes and you haven't even had a chance to make friends yet. And you're being told to stay in your dorm. And it's just a, it's just a bad experience all around, uh, for everybody. And that a lot of that, um, negativity manifested in people being very frustrated with the specific things that they were being asked to do. And it wasn't just proctoring, right? It was, people got frustrated with, um, you know, having to watch lectures the way that they were, uh, being asked to watch lectures. They were frustrated with their lack of um, campus amenities that they could do, right? And so I think what we're seeing now, we're recording this in sort of the beginning of 2022, is that we're migrating back towards whatever normal looks like in, in the post-pandemic world, right? Um, and uh, when we when we get there, um, what does it look like to make... I think, I think a lot of these online tools are going to be permanent parts of education. And I don't mean that to... to make people panic. I think what that means is we're going to be able to look at the last couple of years and grab the things that really worked and, and expand on those and then start to work on the things that didn't work. And one of the things that I look at, uh, that was the, the, the lesson of the last couple of years is, um, if students and faculty don't know what to expect, or they kind of collide into this without a lot of preparation, um, it is, even if it goes extraordinarily well, by traditional definitions, people are able to test, people are able to, um, you know, students are able to, to take their exams without issue, they're able to get their technical issues taken care of, faculty are comfortable that people weren't cheating. Even if all of those boxes are checked, the perception still remains negative if people weren't uh, really prepared going into it or didn't really know what to expect. And so for us, 
you know, that was the lesson learned through here is we, we've really tried to leverage up on material and communication about what to expect from not just from the exam experience, but uh, in terms of privacy. One of the things that we started in the middle of this was something called the Student Bill of Rights. Um, and uh, there's a website there that if I knew I was going to say this, I would have had it ready to go. It was <laughs> studentbillofrights.org, I think, but um, we'll have to uh, go back and check to make sure. Um, mm -hmm. But what we put together was sort of setting some um, some material out there that could be a conversation starter about what should faculty, what should, excuse me, what should students actually expect from a technology provider that's a part of their educational experience. And because um, at the beginning of this, people were really upset. And they're really what we sort of found was there just wasn't a lot of uni uniformly accepted standards of what good practice was. And so um, I think the I'm an optimist, right? So the positive side coming out of this is we have a whole bunch of new things to work on um, that can make students feel more comfortable, that can make faculty feel comfortable, that the material that they're teaching is actually, the, you know, the, the credentials they're giving are actually to the people that did the work. Students can feel comfortable about knowing what to expect with their experience and how student data is handled. Um, and we can feel comfortable as a company that we have a set of operating procedures that check all of those boxes as we go forward. Well, yeah, and too, just like that you're not like empowering, you know, uh, partners with a tool and it's being like, hey, good luck, like, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's like you're earnestly trying to be like, okay, well, let's outline what it means to, uh, yeah, like properly handle student data and like, you know, all those sort of things. And yeah, having it be really clearly summarized in that bill of rights. And yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get the link uh, yeah. after this to make sure we get it uh, just right and everything. But uh, <laughs> yeah, because I think like, yeah, like we're entering into, I think, you know, the the phase of hybrid learning where like, you know, there's going to be a lot of holdover of, uh, you know, the best parts of kind of digital student experience and all the things that we've learned and everything and kind of have, you know, the opportunity to kind of take the best of both worlds of the, the sort of human elements, in-person things and all that. Uh, but then also have these tools that could maybe, um, you know, do things better, um, you know, uh, in certain kind of places and everything and, uh, not, use them when they aren't. And uh, one thing I know when we were doing prep for this is that um, I believe in the in the recent past, uh, you all dropped AI proctoring that you were doing. So I wanted to kind of give you an opportunity yeah. to talk a little bit about that, because I find that very interesting of maybe that idea of the dichotomy of like, where does it make sense to kind of have humans in the process and everything um, to, yeah, just kind of give more, um, I guess, control over things. Or yeah. I mean, I, I love sharing that story for sure. I mean, if you think about... Um, one of the one of the things that was really challenging for us as we uh, navigated this pandemic was um, what we would find with some organizations was the underlying issue uh, was that there were a lot of people that did not believe in testing at all um, or did not believe in um, uh, that academic integrity either a was an issue or b wasn't an issue worth really trying to solve and the problem when we walk into a situation as, a, as an organization that that's what we do is, is build programs with academic integrity. So you know that the person getting the grade or the credential is the one that did the work. If you don't believe that that's important, then we really shouldn't get into anything. And that's a, we, we shouldn't be doing anything as an organization with that school. And that's kind of where we found ourselves with the AI product was, you know, it was an automated, uh, product and, and what it was designed to do was not how it was being used on the ground. So what it was designed to do was be a tool 
that um, monitors a student while they take an exam. Um, and uh, after that exam is complete, the faculty member is supposed to go back and review what that system recorded or found and decide whether or not, uh, you know, the student needed to be confronted about whatever happened. And uh, what we found was nine out of 10 videos or nine out of 10 sessions that required a faculty member uh, to engage and figure out if there was a problem were never opened a single time. Um, and that is uh, not an indictment of anybody in the process. I think it's more of a reality of the situation that everybody has mm -hmm. been in and is in. That is an inordinate amount of work to put on anybody in the process. And so what ends up happening when faculty or whoever it is that's asked to review the video doesn't actually review it is that um, the, the system, the, the sessions that the system says are problems are sometimes just assumed to be problems. And in its essence, you're making the algorithm make the decision. And we have always felt, and, uh, and that's why we took the extraordinary move to uh, sunset that product, was we have always felt that it is not proper for anyone but a human being to decide um, what happens to a student or whether a student can proceed with an exam or anything like that. And so um, it was time for us to take a pretty extraordinary step and get a product out of our product stack um, that didn't align with that belief. Not so much in the way it was originally designed, but we had to you know, sort of adapt to what we found, um, how people were using it, which is that they weren't actually reviewing the videos. And that's not unique to, that was not unique to our product. That's unique to that technique, right? Which is something is going to watch a student technologically and then expect a faculty member to go in and do the work afterwards. It's an extraordinary amount of work. And um, I don't think it's fair to ask faculty to do that work after sort of realizing the amount of work that it, that it creates. Um, and we as an organization want to make sure that we're using and putting technology and putting solutions into the market that actually solve the problem. And so if you're not actually going to um, stop people from cheating and adjudicate that whole process, then there's no point in buying any technology or deploying any kind of technique um, if you don't believe that that part is important. Right. Well, and yeah, that's like fascinating too. I mean, yeah, just one of those things where it's like when it's out in the world and, you know, uh, I don't know, again, just reviewing your hypothesis once it's like actually like, um, I don't know, going to be engaged by people. But uh, yeah, I mean, and I think that's just really good on you for, you know, uh, recognizing that sort of uh, shortcoming and making that change so that, uh, yeah, because I think, you know, you can get into situations like any organization where they just sort of put something in place so they can kind of pat themselves on the back and be like, well, I mean, we have the proctoring software. So, I mean, like, we're good, right? And it's like, well, I mean, it's like doing this thing and you're not actually like, you know, Right. Doing kind of hundred percent here, like you're doing like, you know, most of the way, but uh, not all the way. So, uh, I mean, yeah, like it could just be a security blanket, but not much more than that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the critical question that we think everybody should ask and that we try to make sure that we build programs that can answer this question is, you know, whatever it is you're doing to ensure academic integrity in your program, how do you know it's working? Like full stop after that question, how do you know it's working? And what we found is that a lot of times when you're using the um, more technological and frankly cheaper um, ways of doing that, you can't answer that question, right? Because you just don't, you don't either have the process or the data or anything else in place. And so 
the thing that I would say to any school that's considering either making a change in the way that they ensure academic integrity or building new programs or whatever it is, how do you answer that question? How do I look at an accreditor and say, okay, I know that the people that I'm giving this credential to did the work. And if you don't know how to say that and factually based, not, well, don't, don't tell me a bunch of techniques that people do because anybody can come up with techniques. What are data points that we can look to and say, I feel comfortable that um, those data points tell us that we've got a healthy program. If you don't have those data points, then it's really hard to figure out whether or not you're just wasting money. You're what you're, it's, you know, we call it in turn in, inside of measure learning. We want to make sure that we're not having people do what we call security theater, which is something that looks great. And you go, Ooh, look at, Ooh, look at that. Look what that camera does. But it really doesn't actually stop cheating. Um, we want to make sure that we have data points that we can track and iterate on and measure with the school and ask the school, what do you think about these data points um, that tell us whether or not we're doing a good job. And a lot of those data points are really simple. It is, Hey, a thousand students took this exam um, and we caught, we had X amount of students that were in a situation that you had to, to look at. Right. Um, is that enough? Is that too many? Is that just right? Is it not enough? Um, I, we can argue that question, you know, for hours. But the point is, if you're not measuring that, then you probably shouldn't be doing anything at all, right? Otherwise, it's sort of security theater to kind of make people feel good about it, but not actually have a measurable thing that we can see. We can actually go and say, you know, if you have this type of program, you should expect to see human nature is going to tell you that X percent of students are going to are going to try uh, to do something here. And I wish it was zero, but it's not right. And, and I, I always make the joke that the thing that gives me comfort that there'll always be a business for um, an academic integrity company is human nature, right? It is as long as there has been things that people want to achieve, it is going to be human nature that there will be a subset of humans that will try to take a shortcut to get it. And it is imperative that we stop that from happening so that everyone believes in the credential. And the, it's, it's the, um, you know, it's the eat your veggies argument about academic integrity that's sometimes not popular, but the, the damage that academic integrity or a lack of academic integrity can do to a program is uh, kind of long-term, right? It's a, it's an overall damaging of their reputation. It's an erosion of the respect of the graduates in the workplace. It's a, you know, everybody kind of knowing somebody that, oh, yeah, that person cheated on that exam or, oh, well, I took this program at this school. And yeah, they, you know, quote unquote, they trusted us to, to you know, they know we're going to be working adults and that's whatever sort of rationalization you hear people make. That damages the reputation of an institution. And once people stop believing in the bachelor's degree or the master's degree that comes from that university, then then there is a serious problem because that People's belief in that credential is what sort of everything stems from for a university. That's the that's the original core reason um, that that people are going to college and people are trying to get that credential. And so it's really important to to get that right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So much good stuff there. Uh, I mean, just yeah, like why this is so important, but also just like. I love the phrasing of a uh, security theater. That's uh, uh, just a great little uh, shorthand for, uh, yeah, like making sure the things that you do matter, you know, have some intentionality around them. And yeah, I give you that, uh, 
quantifiable kind of assuredness uh, versus it being this kind of, you know, anecdotal. Because I feel like that comes up so much about just, again, I guess sort of a human nature kind of thing. It's just like decision-making just being kind of like, you know, uh, well, just like going for my gut because of, uh, you know, what I've personally observed or feel uh, versus like, well, you know, we actually have like, student survey data that tells us exactly like what they like and don't like or you know yeah like we're right on average on what you'd expect for you know uh kind of human behavior in terms of uh you know cheating because like, what, what you said there like what it made me think of is like that idea of human nature because it's like yeah because like little kids are always trying to like sneak cookies out of the cookie jar kind of thing and it's like you know they know what's wrong they get caught and you know they feel ashamed and all that you know but like they're just not gonna try because they, they want to do it like if it's just like oh cool like i could easily just get what i want and maybe like you know get away with it like you know it's not even like saying anything about people or it's like oh like you know these are bad people or something it's just like no hey, you know like, they're not they're not there's... bad people it's it's a it, there's a, there's another element of this that's really at play and and that we sort of learned through the years of doing this that um people will respect what you inspect and so what that means is if you're not checking for cheating if you go and talk to any student in that class and ask them, do they, uh, do you think your, your faculty member or your school or whoever, do you think they care if you cheat on the exam? Many of them will say no. And the, and the rationalization is, um, remember, everyone's the hero of their own story, right? So they're not, they're not the villain. They're not cheating. They're thinking to themselves, well, if they really cared, they would be checking. And, and if you don't believe that, ask any, ask any student students, ask students in programs that are relying on the honor system, how, what do they think the university really thinks? If you ask that faculty member or you ask that administrator, they're going to say, well, absolutely. We, we care about academic integrity and we have an honor code and everything else. If you go ask a student where they're not actually checking for it, students almost always say, well, I mean, yeah, but they, they don't really care. Right. And then they'll rationalize, you know, well, we'll be able to look this up when we're in our career and whatever rationalization they have. But people will not students will not interpret it as important if you don't actually put um real uh friction in place and it's yeah, i mean unfortunately you have to define it as friction because you know that's part of the process is that they have to we have to make sure that we're checking that there's uh the student is actually a the correct person we used to, we have the old mantra right you have to see the student you have to see what they're doing and you have to know who they are if you can't check those three boxes, then um, it's hard to know whether or not that person actually did it. But the process of doing that tells the students involved in that course that this is important. And there's another element that you can do to have a really healthy program, which is not only uh, have a technique to, to stop people from cheating or have some kind of program in place that has measurable results, but also to uh, put a statement in the syllabus or put something um you know, right before the exam, before they click into an exam that says, you know, you are expected to be the one doing this work. You are here and here is the, the, the rules. And if you, if you think about sort of like the psychological process there, you are reminding a student right before they get into an exam of what your expectations are. And it is a lot harder for a student to rationalize or for any for any human being to rationalize doing something contrary to that right after they read that that's, you know what I mean? That that's not, you're not, you're saying to them, these are important to me. And if they walk right into the test and break those uh, rules, um, it's harder. There's a, there's, it's a much smaller subset of people that can, that can do that uh, mentally, right. And feel okay. And so um, there's a lot of science that goes into this. I can tell you that 
when I was in school, I certainly didn't think I was going to be uh, the dweeb that that talked about academic integrity on podcasts <laughs> and everything. But what I've sort of grown to understand through the years is this is such an essential process to a healthy education program. The fact that people believe that you, you the graduate with a degree, actually did the work is essential for the entire sort of structure of academia to flow from. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, it's important stuff. I mean, there's a lot that's like, yeah, maybe not the like flashy, you know, sort of, uh, work of higher education. I think of just like, you know, yeah, just generally like student conduct work, but absolutely crucial. And, you know, I appreciate you and others, uh, committing themselves to this work and, um, yeah, I mean, so much good stuff that you shared there. And I think that, um, yeah, just really good food for thought of just like, you know, this really like necessary thing and something that I'm sure everyone, you know, you know, has their uh, tool and strategy around, but it's like how you do it is so important. And uh, yeah, I think just a lot of good advice um, for folks uh, and stuff that you said there. So um, I, I, think- I, mean, I, would, <laughs> I would love to... I'd love to leave sort of a couple of thoughts for people that are listening. If you're thinking about the academic integrity program at the institution uh, where you work, um, the first thing is uh, you need to ask yourself, how do I know that people are not cheating? Or, or specifically, how do I know that this is working? Whatever it is that I'm doing. And your answer should be something that is not emotional, right? We always, data doesn't have feelings, right? So something, a data point that you can point to and debate whether that data point is correct. It should not, the answer to how do you know this is working should not be a list of methods. So for instance, if I say someone that was, that had people taking an exam in a classroom, how do you know people are not cheating? Or how do you know this is working? And they go, well, uh, so I have people spaced uh, three desks uh, between them. And, uh, you know, we, we alternate the papers as we hand them out. And those are all methods, right? And those are all Sure, healthy things to do that could that could help you, um, but don't necessarily block uh, a student from getting access to the exam before it was handed out. Or so you have to actually find things to point to that are unemotional and tell you specifically whether whatever it is you did worked. Right. So that's that's sort of thing number one. Thing number two is you have to actually think through. Um, how students are prepared for whatever it is that you're going to do, right? So if they're going to be expected to be on camera, talk about where it is, how appropriate it is for a student, where, where they should be, where they shouldn't be, what they're, and, and make sure they understand their choices in the matter. The more choice you can give them, the more comfortable they're going to feel with it. Um, and also tell them where to go if something goes wrong. This is what you do. If you feel like something goes wrong, you go here, and this is how it will be taken care of. Um, and then the third thing is, if you are requiring your faculty or anybody in the institution to be a part of this process, um, then you have to uh, train them how to do it, right? And give them, be clear on what the expectations of the workload will be for that so that they know what to expect and they are prepared, they've trained, they've asked any questions and they know what to do. So those are the three things I always say. If you're building an academic integrity program, you want to make sure you have data points to tell you whether or not it's working. 
You want to make sure you prepare students and explain to them what's coming and what their choice is in the matter. And you want to prepare anybody involved in the process, especially if it's faculty who are expected to, to do a lot of extra work. Yeah, all really great advice. And um, what I was going to like gonna end on for the, the previous question, too, is just like how much I love, because I, I definitely think about this a lot, too, of just sort of like, you know, I'm trying to think of like the right like metaphor turn of phrase, but just that idea of, you know, where your priorities are, like kind of comes through of like where you put the emphasis and what you measure and all that. So, um, yeah, because I think like any organization or like places that I've worked where it's just like, okay, I'm spending my time, you know, in my job every week. In the areas that you keep emphasizing, because you might say like, oh, well, all these things are important. It's like, well, you keep only hammering in on like number right. one. So like, right. that's what I'm going to aid for. Like all those other things, I'll get to it if I can. But um, yeah, yeah, just stuff like that. I like, yeah, just thrilling my people, mind. There. People respect what you inspect, right? And I, I'm not the author of that statement, but I, I remember the first time I heard it. I wish I could credit the person I heard it from, but it's really the truth. The, the things that you spend organizational energy measuring are the things that you inherently tell everyone involved are the most important data points, the most important uh, pieces to show whether or not you're, you're successful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, and we're, we're coming up on time, uh, but I always do like to uh, give an opportunity if there's things that you wanted to highlight in terms of resources on this topic from, uh, you know, uh, measure or anywhere else, uh, stuff that's grabbing your attention that we can put in the show notes. Take a look in the show notes, look for the Student Bill of Rights. That's That was a big effort for us. Um, the intent there was to engage with sort of the stakeholders in the in the industry and figure out um, exactly what people should expect from a technology partner. Um, you know, and additionally, if you're uh, a faculty member at an institution uh, and you have questions, um, I am by no means the expert. I get the, uh, the, the benefit of, of being able to get on a podcast and talk about it, but we have people far smarter than I am in measure learning um, who, uh, you know, some of our psychometrics and, and our, certainly our um, chief compliance officer, Dr. Ashley Norris, um, are very, very good at helping institutions, not just proctor exams, but think about assessment holistically. And where is the data coming from? How do you know uh, where your questions are coming from? How do you know they're not being given to other people? And how, most importantly, how do you know uh, that the person that took this exam actually knows the material. And that's not just a, pro a product of proctoring. It's a product of good assessment design. It's a product of measurables and everything else. And I know a lot of faculty get really passionate about that. And that's awesome. And I think we should empower them to build measurement tools, which are assessments and other things, so that they feel good that the students in their courses are the ones that um, are getting the, that did the work and are getting the credential. Very good. Um, great. Well, um, we'll end it there um, because I think you've, you've already shared such incredible, amazing insights and stuff for folks to think about and take away. And um, we'll have ways to uh, connect with you and measure and um, yeah, the Bill of Rights that you mentioned uh, in the show notes for this episode. So um, just thank you so much, though, for your, for your passion and all that you shared and your time, Jared. And uh, yeah, this is really great stuff. Thank you very much. It was great to be here. Thank you, Justin. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.